you know, there's probably a few tiers of people that have reasons for going to the White House Correspondence Center. There's schmoozing with officials, be schmoozing with network executives if you're a print reporter or former official. And then I think the third one is people who just want pictures with celebrities, question mark. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Thursday, April 27th, and the parties are ramping up ahead of this weekend's White House Correspondents' Dinner in Washington, where denizens of the Beltway are dusting off their ill-fitting tuxedos and ball gowns for this year's gala. Tara Palmieri joins me on the pod today to pull back the curtain on the networking, the ostentatious ass-kissing, and some of the sneaky strategizing among TV news types that goes down at the annual Beltway Schmooze Fest. And later, Lauren Sherman joins Ben in New York to dish about this year's Met Gala. We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Happy Thursday, everybody. It's White House Correspondents' Dinner weekend. I think all the the press and the media in D.C. kind of forgot about the sanctimony of the Trump years and decided it's okay to party and cozy up with officials once again. And to talk about that, I'm joined today by Tara Palmieri, one of our several women in Washington. Tara, how are you doing? Good. I'm I'm here from D.C. feeling <laughs> the vibe ahead of the week ahead of this wild wild weekend. <laughs> I shouldn't I shouldn't dump on it too much. I mean I, I I'm not coming this weekend, but I went to several of them and they're they're always fun. Have you gone to any parties yet? That's obviously everyone's trying to get into like the UTA party or bites and bylines or you know whatever trade group is sponsoring some event. Have you gone to any yet or uh are you just saving up for this weekend? Well, I'm I'm storing energy up right now, um, meditating, working on my Zen. Now, the parties really start tomorrow. Uh, maybe there's some pre 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 parties, but my liver could never do that. So, um, <laughs> I'm gonna wait until the bites and bylines tomorrow, and then I'll go to the UTA on Friday. Although, like, I've been invited to, and I'm not saying this because I'm a cool girl, but I I am. But if I wasn't, it's just that there's so many events, there's so many parties, and there really are only a three or four parties that everyone actually really wants to go to. And then there's like the rest of the parties. Mm -hmm. So uh, the UTA party on Friday at Fiola Mare is like a good party. Then on Saturday during the day, Tammy Haddad has her brunch. And like Uh as much as people moan and groan about not getting an invite until like the day before, it's often worth going to a lot of like heavy hitting media executives go, you know, it's a lot of TV talent um, the after party to the White House Correspondents' Dinner, the um, always, there's always one at the French Embassy. It used to be sponsored by Bloomberg and Vanity Fair. Vanity Fair gave mm-hmm. it the cachet. Bloomberg gave it the money. Now it's Paramount. I went last year. Not quite the same, but it's still good. But that's probably the best party. And everything else is like just 
they're okay. They're the, like the other parties. You know what I mean? But those are the parties to go to. But you, you pointed out in your conversation with Teddy, there's a lot of networking that goes on within the press and specifically the TV networks. Um, you have a lot of network executives who come in from on high in New York City and they lower themselves to come down to DC for a couple weekends a year. This is one of them. And it's like a rare shot for younger correspondents, people who want network contracts, contributor contracts to sort of schmooze with the brass. You mentioned that that's how Jeff Zucker and Caitlin Collins met, in fact, and now she's a star at CNN. Yeah. So typically, and you and I know this, having been in the Washington bureaus of big networks, like when I was at ABC and when you were at CNN, the networks, they kind of, they're all based in New York and the executives sort of like poo-poo, you know, the DC, it's like provincial, it's a village, yada, yada, yada. And sort of the way we look at it now still. Um, and so this is kind of an exciting weekend for everybody because they finally get the ears of the network brass. And like whether you're a correspondent already on air mm-hmm. and you're trying to angle for some more airtime, right? Or your producer trying to get on air or you're an official like looking to lead the administration, trying to see if maybe there's a contributor contract for you around the bend. I mean, look at Jen Psaki. Karine Jean-Pierre is, used to be rep by UTA. Obviously, she's the press secretary mm. now. But like Ron Klain is now rep by William Morris. There are a lot of opportunities. Um, and then there's just like print reporters who get contributor contracts. And I mean, I've had contributor contracts um, at CNBC and mm. at CNN. And a lot of those relationships can be forged just like personal relationships yes they see your work not to take away from it but you need that foot in the door you need to have that conversation and this weekend can often be that conversation the thing is that this year feels different and that's because a cnn just laid off basically all of their contributors right i mean a lot of their Mm -hmm. print reporters especially ones that were like the trump sourced print reporters they're gone and At the same time, you're coming into an election year. And I think MSNBC has decided that they would rather invest in like progressive stars rather than reporters, per se. Mm -hmm. And I think you're going into an election year and they're probably thinking like, yeah, we probably should hire a few more like well-sourced reporters on the campaigns, print reporters, et cetera. Maybe we need a few former Republicans that now hate Trump. You know, maybe we need a few former Biden officials. And like, it's just going to be like thirstier, like the Hunger Games are going to be more intense this weekend, I think. But, mm-hmm. you know, I was talking to Dylan about it. And he's like, these executives already know probably who they want to hire at this point. But yeah. you know, anything can happen. A little FaceTime can, you know, start anything. And I think, you know, there's probably a few tiers of people that have reasons for going to the White House Correspondence Center. There's schmoozing with officials, which honestly, you you probably get that experience anyway, if you live in D.C., be schmoozing with network executives if you're a print reporter, or former official trying to leave, yada, yada, yada. And then I think the third one is people who just want pictures with celebrities, question mark, which I've never really quite understood. I've never done it before because yeah. I just think it's tacky. But I think that's like the categories. Yeah. I, I think there's, you actually might have some friends in this world, but I never did. There was always a genre of human at these events that I didn't quite know where they came from. Like Washington... Like our world is sort of media politics. Those people sort of migrate to the same parties and are friends and sources with each other and they sleep with each other. There's sort of lobbyists, (laughs) K Street types and like lawyers. There's the kind of diplomatic and foreign policy World Bank types. By the way, some of these people intersect at the margins, but they all kind of like are their own cliques in Washington. But then there's there's a genre of person they like, live in Fairfax or McLean, 
Um, they're really rich and like they're frequently like featured in like Washington Life magazine, but they don't, I can't like determine what their proximity to power is. Like, do you remember that couple that snuck in to the White House dinner when Obama was? Yeah, like people like that. Like those people are all over White House Correspondents Dinner weekend. You know, the women are wearing pearls. The like paunchy men are breaking out their tux for like their one time a year. I don't know what they do, but that might not just that that might just be because it wasn't my lane. But I like was always interested in them because those are the people that were like really thirsty for selfies with the celebrities that would show up at these things. It was kind of fascinating. But those people don't get invited to like the Tammy Haddad brunch. Like you don't see them. Like the Tammy brunch is like like people who are Capitol Hill, White House, work in the major news organizations. It's like a kind of harder invite to get, I think. Yes. Uh, Those people, yeah, they kind of live in a world where like, you know where they say DC is Hollywood for ugly people? Like they're sort of like the aspiring actors in that. Like they're like the actor (laughs) waiter. They want to be on like Real Housewives of um – Potomac, you know, Northern Virginia, Potomac. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Like they're <laughs> like they see they see DC as like a pathway to stardom in like a Hollywood way, I guess. But maybe everybody does in this town. I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. If you can be George, if you can be former press secretary and now George Stephanopoulos making twenty something million dollars a year, like maybe that is maybe this is just the pathway to your Hollywood dreams, and mm-hmm. maybe that's for them is the picture with name some celebrity that will probably show up that I don't I, I don't even I see I'm like I'm so over the celebrity thing because when I was in my 20s I was a page six reporter and so like once you do that once you never care again about a single celebrity for the rest of your life because it's like <laughs> your job yeah so I can't even name them people will tell me things and I'm like I just don't know what you're talking about I get excited I get like really excited about role player like not super famous celebrities that I'm like really into. Like I got one picture at a White House dinner once with Wendell Pierce, um, the actor who was bunk in The Wire. He was in Treme. He's like a big New Orleans guy. I love him. And I got a picture with him. So you love his and craft, like, Peter. You I like his, a selfie. I celebrate his actor craft, his dramaturgy. I like in Venice today, actually, I saw Lil Dicky uh, of Dave fame on Hulu. He like lives in Venice and I saw him go into a subway to get a sandwich and he was wearing a full pink bright jumpsuit sweatsuit and i was like holy shit that's dave like that was exciting to me like if Lil dicky showed up at the white house correspondence center i don't think he would but um yeah i mean i don't th- there's also the kind of celebrity that like is there every year and they're still dining out on the fact that they were in like house of cards or scandal like 10 years ago and like they still show up every year. Yeah. Um, all right, Tara, have fun this weekend. Uh, drink a martini for me. I will talk I'll to have you soon. Two for you. Thank you. <laughs> when we come back, Lauren Sherman is here to talk about another big gala, the Met Gala. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome back to The Powers That Be. I'm Ben Landy, here with 
Puck's new fashion business correspondent, Lauren Sherman. Welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me, Ben. So you're in New York this week for uh, a couple fashion events, including one with Puck. But um, obviously, it's only a few days until the Met Gala, which I know is like the Super Bowl for fashion people. Is it the biggest event on fashion social calendar? Or is it just sort of contrived that way by Vogue these days? It's the biggest event from like eyeballs outside of fashion, I'd say. Especially now, a lot of, for many publications, it gets way more traffic and and visibility than the Oscars red carpet. So when they say it's the Super Bowl of fashion, it really is, it gets bigger celebrities than the Oscars. It's just the whole thing is the red carpet. They don't allow any, I've covered the cocktails before, which is like in the museum after the exhibit, there's a tiny little room where none of the famous people go, but all the people actually paid to to go to the, to the gala go. And they'll have a couple reporters in there, but they don't allow any journalist into the actual gala. It's not recorded. There's a performance or whatever. There's always a couple like big musicians or, or stars who do a performance, but can't take any selfies. You can't put anything on Instagram. So it's really closed off other than the red carpet. So from a red carpet perspective, it's the biggest moment of the year. And I would say that's only, you know, the last decade it's really ramped up, but the last couple of years in particular, it's just blown out. And you see that in the coverage, not only on Vogue and other Condé Nast websites, but also on all social media and competing publications, et cetera. It's just such a big event online. You reported in your newsletter the other week that the Met Gala now has way surpassed Vanity Fair's Oscar party in terms of being Condé Nast's biggest tentpole event. Vogue is asking for upwards of a million dollars for some of the banner advertising, some other custom content that's next to the event. They're also paying out a huge amount of money to influencers who star in adjacent campaigns. Obviously, print media and magazines are in decline. Ad rates are in decline. Is there still room for growth on the event side? Like, What is sort of the Condé Nast expansion plan? Yeah, I think, you know, the Vogue brand is so unique as a as a magazine brand. It's so much bigger than the magazine. And they had an event actually last fall called Vogue World, which happened during New York Fashion Week. And it was essentially a fashion show where I think Serena Williams wore Balenciaga, that kind of thing. It was like a show. It was a performance. There was celebrities in designer clothing and there was nothing new like no new fashion but it was the most successful fashion show of last new in september of new york fashion week and they had great success with that and there was a lot of commercial elements a lot of advertisers had booths where if you bought a ticket to vogue world you could like have fendi french fries and stuff like that so i do think there's a big opportunity with events i mean anna winter has been playing with this for years her increased involvement with the Met and raising money for the Costume Institute, but also with Fashion's Night Out, which was like a very big thing in New York that was supposed to boost retail after 2008 crash. And, you know, that became a global event. It didn't last forever, but I think that she in particular has seen the value of these things and taking what made the magazine special when magazines are special and taking it offline. And I do think there is an opportunity to make a lot of money. How much is the real question? And it just depends on 
how much it costs them to kind of put this kind of thing on. Obviously, the Met is paying for for a lot of this, but it, it's still a cost to Condé Nast because a lot of their employees participate and are involved and they create a ton of content around it and et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know. I think it makes the brand more valuable. So whether or not it's like bringing in enough revenue to justify Vogue as a thing, I don't know, but it's making the brand more valuable, especially to people on the outside. So if Condé Nast were to sell someday, maybe they never will, but if they were like having these types of things that are cultural global events that people, you know, I think they said 15 or 25, I think 15 million people went on the live stream this year or last year, which is, is pretty impressive for a, a live stream. And so I think it was 25 million in total. So they have big numbers and they sell to big, big companies that, you know, I think last year they had white claw or something like that. They had a liquor brand, things that you, probably wouldn't have imagined seeing on the in the pages of Vogue a few years ago, but things things have changed. Well, while you're in New York, I know you said that you're also stopping by some events for Tiffany, which is reopening its big flagship store in New York. I think this is for the first time since they were acquired by LVMH a few years ago for $16 billion. What's that been like? The store is actually opening today, Thursday, but I went to a ribbon cutting on Wednesday and that was, I went and, and toured the store with someone from Tiffany, Alexandre Arnaud, Antoine Arnaud, two of the sons of Bernard Arnaud were there. Alexandre works at Tiffany and has worked really hard on this project in particular. So he was there, Anthony Ledru, who is the CEO, was there as well as Michael Burke, who's the chairman of Tiffany and is the former CEO of Louis Vuitton, the biggest brand in the LVMH portfolio. So they were all there. And I got got to kind of see it's designed by this guy, Peter Marino, who is the leather daddy who wears, <laughs> who, he, who like is a very famous retail interiors person. He does a ton of the big, big LVMH stores. And so it feels very Peter Marino, really flashy, um, yeah, wild. Like it's there's a Basquiat in that was featured in a Tiffany ad a couple of years ago when they first bought the brand and they were starting to like refresh the the marketing. Tonight they're doing a dinner at Caviar Caspia. Puck is also having a dinner tonight, so I won't be heading to that. But yeah, it's a big week in New York and they were really savvy to do it right before the Met because they'll have a ton of people wearing Tiffany jewelry at the Met. Red carpet for hard jewelry brands is huge huge thing like it's a lot a huge pay to play meaning that they pay stylists and celebrities to wear the stuff because they have the money because because hard jewelry just hard luxury has such a high margin that they just have bigger marketing budgets than fashion brands um and so it was just really savvy of them to kind of get it all done they flew a ton of journalists out from europe and asia i walked in at 8 10 this morning to the first floor of that store and it was 200 people pretty much all journalists uh, and and that is impressive it's hard to get honestly it's hard to get journalists to come to the u.s for fashion stuff because the brands just a they're not as not big enough advertisers for a lot of the magazines to bother and b they're just not a lot of exciting big brands here and it was amazing but yeah it's um it's a big week there's 
tons going on. Gucci's having a big party at Bungalow 8 on Saturday night where they're Amy Sacco's reopening Bungalow 8 for one night. It feels very 2008 all over again in New York. But um, yeah, it was, it's definitely an ode to commerce that like nothing I've never ever seen before. I think they said it was their biggest renovation ever. I'm excited to go check it out. I mean, the, these stores are incredible. Bernard Arnault was saying that the temporary Tiffany store was making something like $200 million a year, which is just <laughs> insane. Yeah. Um, but I also wanted to ask you a little bit more about how this merger is going. Obviously, Tiffany is an American brand. There aren't that many American brands in the LVMH portfolio. Has that been sort of like a culture clash at all in terms of the back office? And then also like, how is LVMH working to reposition this brand, given that LVMH, you know, focuses a lot on long-term brand desirability and value, whereas American companies tend to be a little bit more short-term profit-driven? Yeah. And and I would say that Tiffany was probably an anomaly in the latter. Like it probably isn't as focused on short-term as a fashion brand from America would be, because again, the hard luxury is just a very different business. Um, I'd say from what I've I've talked to people and from what I've what I've heard look like this is a very old big business in the in America where there are probably people there have worked there for 30 40 years doing the same job they have a very tiny job but they've done the same job and it, it, the idea that there wouldn't be a culture clash of not only the French versus the American culture but the independent brand versus large group culture is of course there has been of course there's been tension and i think there's been tension on the creative side with some of the people who are high up there that were there right before installed right before lvmh took over and and then without alexand and his team coming in and i think there there have been a lot of changes to the top of the kind of creative team since since it all happened and i would say look like uh, some of their marketing initiatives, their two biggest things that they've done. I mean, they've done stuff with NFTs and et cetera, et cetera. But um, I'd say the biggest things they've done were the Beyonce Jay-Z commercial or advertisement that came out pretty soon after they bought it. I'd say that the feedback on that was mixed and some people liked it. Some people were really turned off by it. The other big thing was the Nike Tiffany collaboration and I'm, i am going to write about that for a future issue and there's a lot of really interesting stuff to mine there of was it successful yes was it the correct execution it's arguable like of course it's going to be successful did it help burnish both brands that's a question that pretty much very few people have asked and i think there is evidence and also just you know, the feeling internally at both companies was that it maybe wasn't the best thing for for either brand because of the way it was executed. So they definitely haven't gotten it exactly right. But the thing I will say is that company is just, they really know how to manage brands and they know how to manage big brands. And the, the thing that they need to do is make very, very expensive Tiffany jewelry appealing to not only more Americans, which is the was their biggest market for a long time, but really, really slowed, but also to Asia, which in China in particular, which has been their area of focus for like the last 15 years, 
it's going to start picking up again. And that growing middle class is just widening and widening. And there are so many different types of consumers in China and they need to appeal to all of them. So there's there's a ton of room for growth. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting question for Tiffany of, um, like you said, how, how do you take a 100-year-old brand and revitalize it and make it relevant for a new generation without also undermining what makes that brand valuable so that it can last for another 100 or 200 years. But um, Lauren, I'm sorry I missed you at the Tiffany event. My invitation must have gotten lost in the mail. Next but, time um, you can come with me, Ben. <laughs> it was pretty, they were all, it was pretty casual. They would have loved to have you. They're all very curious and interested in Puck. I'm sure. Well, thanks for taking time out of your busy social calendar. <laughs> yeah. We'll have you back on soon. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13, and produced by Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck. Puck.